<laughs> Father God, thank you so much for Max. Lord, I, I, I bless God that he is part of this family, the wealth of knowledge that he has and the wealth of you that he has in you. Father God, as he uh, declares your word, Lord, may our hearts be open to what the Holy Spirit has laid on him. And Lord, may he speak in power and clarity. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> wow. Seems like uh, after doing this for so many times over the years, I would get good at it, but it just never seems to get good. Never seems to get easy. It's always a challenge. <clears throat> As you know, I'm pretty much an introvert, so uh, being in front of a lot of people is not my comfort zone. Um, so I'm always uncomfortable in this position. But I know I have something to say. Amen. I know the Lord has showed me a lot over the years and given me the ability to see and perceive and understand some of the things of our time and our day. And um, I think it's good that we be relevant to the day in which we live. You know, to me, it's, uh, you can rehash the same old sermons over the centuries, but if they're not relevant to the day in which you live, what's the point? There's got to be some relevance. Got to be some way to apply it, some way to evaluate the Word of God and apply it to where we are today in our culture and in our time. So that's what drives me. That's what I'm hungry for. I love to do that. And uh, I find myself sometimes being on the edge where I feel like I'm uh, pushing a little bit or maybe attacking uh, some sacred cows with a butcher knife and a uh, grill ready to kill those sacred cows and move on to better things. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, we all grew up in our time in, in the Lord and the house of the Lord. And we were taught things all along that we believed were you know, the, the foundation of everything. And sometimes as we grow older and we start evaluating the Lord and we start walking with the Lord in an intimate way and he reveals things to us, we find the Lord start asking us hard questions. And uh, we start, he starts challenging our, our uh, theology and our ideology and how we look at the world and how we look at the church, how we look at him. And uh, it seems like God has put me on a journey where over many years now, I've, I've been in that place, and I find myself asking really hard questions and, and wanting to uh, communicate that to others. So I don't do it purposefully to offend people. I do it to make people think. I do it to trust, just make us go, you know, you know, maybe some of those things that we used to believe that we held so dear aren't that important or maybe aren't really the main thing. Or maybe they're even skewing our effectiveness, perverting our presentation of Christ, and uh, making us ineffective and unfruitful in the world. And uh, <clears throat> I think the church has become fairly ineffective and unfruitful in the world in the day in which we live. And that's, that hurts. That hurts. I want to see the church be the head and not the tail, as the scripture says. We should be culture transformers. We should be changing, influencing the culture. And if we've become lukewarm instead of hot, we're not really influencing anything. We're not really changing or transforming the culture. So that's what drives me. That's what I'm passionate about. And I don't mean to offend, but sometimes I, I think I do anyway. Um, one of the narratives that we have that's really big right now, and this is what's been on my heart lately, is you hear this thing that says, don't judge me. <laughs> How many times have you heard that over the last few years? Don't judge me. TV programs, sitcoms, whatever, your, your friends, your coworkers. Something comes along. I had a coworker say it to me last week. It was really funny as I was preparing the sermon and and she's kind of a purist in what she eats, which 
She's doing a great job. Great, proud of her. But she had a moment where she was just going to go and indulge in a breakfast burrito that came. Somebody brought a bunch into work, and she was going to go eat one. And I looked at her like, wow, you're actually going to indulge in one of those because it was unusual for her. And she looks at me and goes, don't judge me. And I'm like, I'm not judging you. I'm just surprised you're eating one. You know, it's like, <laughs> what's the problem here? So it's almost like people have a really a touchiness. Don't you dare touch this or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to react, you know. Touchy. Anyway. So what if I told you that the scriptures and even the New Testament tells us to judge all things? Now, I didn't say judge, condemn people, pass judgment. I said the scripture tells us to judge all things, that we are supposed to make judgments on things. We are supposed to. I'm going to read a portion of scripture just to set the stage. It's a little long. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're actually going to read the whole chapter here. <clears throat> Paul is talking to the Corinthians. You know, the Corinthians were uh, kind of like Paul's baby. He went there to the city of Corinth. They hadn't heard the gospel. He went there. He presented the gospel. They believed. He founded a church. It began to grow. And uh, it had a lot of problems because it had become a, out of a polytheist idea, polytheist religion. And uh, so they had a lot of problems, but it was Paul's baby. And when Paul went away, he heard of some things happening in the Corinthian church. So he starts writing letters to the Corinthians. And this is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, part of his letter to the Corinthians. And he says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or wisdom as I proclaim to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith would not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Pretty good. Paul went on to the Corinthian city of Corinth, and God used him mightily. There was signs and wonders happening. We don't know what those were. It really doesn't describe it. But obviously, something, some things happened that the Corinthians went, whoa. And then they believed Paul's message. So they weren't convinced necessarily by his message as they were convinced by what God did amongst them. So their faith could rest on the demonstration that had taken place. The message of Paul was substantiated by the power of God that was performed when he went to Corinth. So he says, uh, your faith would not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Would that we had more of that today. Among the mature, however, we speak a message of wisdom, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of the mysteries and hidden wisdom of God, which is destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. Rather, it is written, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of man except his own spirit within him? So too, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. And this is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but words taught by the Spirit. That's a new level of understanding. Expressing spiritual truth in spiritual words. The natural man does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man judges all things, 
but he himself is not subject to anyone's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That's from the Berean Study Bible translation. So here's Paul is saying, we should be walking in a place as Christians who have the Holy Spirit in us, basically connecting us, the Holy Spirit, and our spirit. So we have a new level of communication and a new level of perception and a new level of understanding. We're not just doing this level where we see something and we come to a conclusion, which is still good. You know, we should be able to look at something and look at the evidence. And even Jesus said, you will know a tree by its fruit. So you can approach something and go, what kind of fruit is on this tree? Well, it's pretty easy to see on that level. But anyway, Paul is saying we live as Christians. We have something deeper. We have a revelation where God's Holy Spirit connects with our spirit and we start understanding spiritual truths at a greater level. And we begin to perceive things that the natural man thinks are foolishness. How many have been talking to somebody about spiritual matters and you just you get this glazed over look like, I have no idea what you're talking about. It's because they don't have that. So that's something that God gives us. Now I've known unbelievers who have a perception of the things of the Spirit. And uh, I don't know if it's just a gifting for that person or what. But sometimes you meet an unbeliever who has a connection in the spirit realm and perceives things unusual outside of the spirit of God. But that's not typical, really. So here we have something uh, uniquely uh, beautiful, this connection of our spirit with the Holy Spirit that brings revelation and understanding. And Paul says, the spiritual man judges all things. Note that it does not say that we judge people, but judge all things. The Greek word for the word uh, judge here is anacrino. I'm not a Greek expert, but I have a great concordance and I can look these up. Anacrino, and basically means uh, com- completing a process to select by separating, to distinguish by vigorous judging, a process of careful study, evaluation, and judgment. Here Paul is telling the Corinthian church, evaluate it, process it, look at the information, come to a conclusion, judge it. What are you seeing? What are you feeling? Make a determination. Don't be tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine or whatever or narrative, or newscast, or whatever. We should be able to look at the evidences and connect with God and say, God, what's going on here? What's really going on here? And we should be able to draw a judgment of that. And something that really bothers me right now is the lack of people who can make sound judgments, even in Places of authority and places of leadership uh, or political. I won't even get into the political side. It's like, hello, McFly, have you lost your sense of even understanding reality anymore? It blows my mind. So to judge all things, so to judge all things, is to carefully examine with the insight and revelation of the Spirit of God and the Word of God and come to a conclusion on a situation, a condition, a teaching, a concept, or idea, or even a rule. We might also call this discernment. Discernment. Discernment is one of those words that we just kind of go, discernment? What does that mean? Well, it's a very biblical word. We don't have a whole lot of that use maybe in the general uh, secular world. Sometimes you'll hear someone say discernment, but in the church, it's a big word. In the New Testament, it's a big word. Discernment is over and over and over again talked about in the New Testament. I'll go over a few of those. But discernment's an important word. And so what is discernment? Well, there's a couple of Greek words for discernment. Uh, Dichresis is one of them. Basically means distinguishing, distinguishing, deciding, passing sentence on, 
the act of judgment. That's pretty defining, isn't it? It's being pretty clear that discernment is drawing a conclusion. Some, a couple examples of where that's used. For one, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul is writing to the Corinthians about the gifts of the Spirit. Gift is healing, gift of prophecy. And then he says, a gift of discerning of spirits or distinguishing of spirits. That's the word dicresis being used there. Understanding that uh, uh, from the spirit realm, you can actually discern what that spirit is. Is that the Holy Spirit? Is that God's spirit? Is that a human spirit? What, what kind of a gift that is able to point those out and see that clear? Another example of dicresis is Hebrews 5.14. Uh, Paul is talking to, uh, not Paul, we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is, uh, but anyway, he's talking to the Hebrew Christians, Jewish Christians, and he's saying, uh, by this time, you know, you should be teachers. You should be expounding on these things as mature believers, but he says, you're not. But those that do learn have their senses trained to discern both good and evil. That's dicresis, discernment. Something that is developed in a person that they can look at a, a situation, look at a circumstance, look at a narrative and discern what's going on. We're not going to know 100% because we never know what people's motives are really. Hard to know what somebody's motives are. Hard to know who's what. But you can discern what you see with your eyes. You can discern what your spirit is telling you and go, I'm going to make a judgment in this arena. I don't think I'm going to participate in that. I don't think that's healthy. The other Greek word for uh, discernment is diakrino. And that means to use, to separate, distinguish, discern one thing from another, and even to doubt or to hesitate. So diakrino is also discerning, growing, but also to doubt. You see something and you kind of go, hmm, I can't buy that. I, I can't hold to that or to hesitate. Maybe somebody's trying to pressure you into a, a ministry or to get involved with something that you just have a check in your spirit. Something's going on in you and you just don't, you feel really uncomfortable about that. That happened to me uh, when I was a young believer. We were down in YWAM uh, in uh, Cal Southern California. And we were part of Youth with a Mission, and, and there, was, there was this guy there and his wife, and they were actually leaders in the YWAM, and they were doing ministry to the homosexual community down in the L.A. area. And this guy approached me one day, and he said, uh, you know, I, would you be interested in maybe getting involved with uh, coming with me and ministering in the, in the homosexual community? And he would go into gay bars and stuff like that, you know, and minister there. And I was a little bit shocked at first. I thought, whoa, that's pretty high-level ministry. I don't know if I'm up for that. <clears throat> but I just had this uncomfortableness. And I said, Lord, all right, help me. If this is from you, make it very, very clear to me. Because I have an uncomfortableness in my spirit. And I listened to that voice. And then I put out a fleece and asked the Lord to show me, thus, I won't go into all that, but thus and so, show me thus and so if, if you want me to be a part of that. And he didn't answer it that way. So I took that as a no. And I didn't get involved in that. And I'll be honest with you, I'm glad I didn't. Looking back, because as a young man, where my, let's just admit it, hormones were a little more radical back then, I don't know if I could have handled that atmosphere. I don't know if I could have handled that level of perversion and stuff. It might have been very damaging to me. But there was that thing going off in me that said, ooh, time out. You probably shouldn't go there. And I'm glad I listened. Dicrino, a couple places it's used in Scripture. Uh, Jesus is speaking in Matthew 16, verse 3. He says, you know how to do a, you know how to tell what the weather's going to be tomorrow. In the evening, if the sky is red, you know it's going to be nice tomorrow. 
Or if the morning when you get up and the sky is red, you know, ooh, storm's coming. You know how to discern the seasons and the weather. How come you can't discern these spiritual truths? Diacrino. Another example is uh, 1 Corinthians 14 where, again, Paul is speaking to the Corinthians about the gifts of the Spirit. And he says, uh, you can let two or three prophets speak in your congregation and then the others pass judgment. The word is diacrino. Make a judgment call. Discern, are these prophetic voices speaking from God or from their own spirit or just from their own whatever? You need to make that judgment. And we encourage that in this house. When you hear prophetic words, just because it's a prophetic word spoken in this house doesn't make that from God. Maybe that was an earth-shaking revelation to some of you. <laughs> We're all humans. We're all subject to things that pollute. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later. None of us gets it right 100% of the time. It'd be nice if we did. But we don't. The only one I know who did that was Jesus. So there are... A number of references to uh, use these two words in the New Testament, and they all relate to making a judgment, discerning, deciding, drawing a conclusion about a situation or circumstance. So it is very clear to me that we are supposed to be wise and discerning of the times and not just take what we see at face value and call it truth. Boy, if there has ever been a time <laughs> in our lifetimes where discernment and wisdom is really needed, it's right now. I tell you what, with the, with the mega media blast that we have going at us 24-7 by its multiple avenues of information, you can, you can be like swept away in a flood of information and just overwhelmed. We need discernment. We need to be able to step back and go, whoa, this is way too much information here. Lord, what are you saying? How do, I, how do I address the times in which I live? How do I be a wise person? How do I be like the sons of Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel should do? We need that. So a question needs to be asked, who is able to do this? Who is able to walk in discernment? Since I am a Christian, does that automatically give me the, the discernment to make judgments on all things? Oh, I'm tricking you now. Yes, to a degree. It's conditional. When we're born again, we receive the Holy Spirit, right? And that connection is quickened. The Holy Spirit with our spirit is, is quickened. It's connected. Something comes active. A catalyst is put in and it becomes activated. Something that was dormant or even dead suddenly becomes alive. So a spirit connection with the Holy Spirit becomes active when we're born again. But that doesn't make us perfect at discernment. That doesn't make us suddenly have all understanding and all revelation. If we did, it would be spectacular, wouldn't it? <laughs> but it isn't true. It's like anything, like all the gifts of the spirits. I mean, when Paul talks about the gifts of the spirit in, in 1 Corinthians 12, all of them aren't of any effect unless you practice them. All of them are not going to mature unless you practice them. So yes, a Christian can walk in discernment at a young Christian age. But in order to become proficient, you've got to practice it. You've got to grow in it. Now, I've met Christians who are young in the Lord, and they had an ability to discern. I met Christians that were even wishy-washy in their walk with the God, their Lord, 
but they had an ability to perceive in the spirit. I worked with a fellow. He wasn't even attending a church. He was kind of out of the church, unchurched church goer at the moment. And, uh, but he had a, an intuitiveness, an ability to discern quickly a situation and conversation. And it was always kind of trippy talking to him because you could tell when he was reading you. He was that much into it. But he really wasn't walking with the Lord in an, an aggressive way. He was just kind of whatever, you know. But he had that intuitiveness where he was picking up on what was happening in the spirit realm. Kind of interesting. So basically, like all the other gifts, it's developed over time and practice. Yes, I have a scripture for that. It's Hebrews 5, <clears throat> 12 through 14. And I just read Hebrews 5, 14 a bit ago. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature who have their powers of discernment trained by constant use to distinguish good and evil. Very clear. It is something you learn and you develop. Forty-three years later as a Christian, it's like sometimes I wish I didn't know what I know. You ever felt that way? Put me back in the matrix. I don't want to know anymore. <laughs> I believe there are two types of discernment, and yet both complement each other. The first is a learned discernment by patience, a learned by experience, practice, and observation. Great examples in the scriptures for that is uh, Philippians 1.9. Paul is writing, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Amen. Something that's learned as you develop it. In Philippians, or Ephesians 5.10, Paul says, Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Effort. Try to discern. Is that you, Lord? Is your heart in this? What is your heart for this matter? I want to please you. The other kind of uh, discernment is intuitive. I believe intuitive. Like my friend that I worked with, very intuitive. Uh, <clears throat> that's a gifting perceived, unction, spirit. A good example of that is 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talking about the distinguishing of spirits and the gifts of the spirit. And notice it says distinguishing of spirits, more than one. There's human spirits, there's evil spirits, and there's a Holy Spirit. And you might say there's even angels and demons, you know. Gift of discernment of spirits. A gifting God gives you to be able to see clearly. Ah, I see you. Another example of that is uh, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 2.14, which we again, we already read. Uh, the natural man does not accept the things of the spirit, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned there's that connection that intuitiveness something that's in us that is able to perceive I know a lot of you in this room have that I've seen it over and over again the more familiar we are with the real the easier it is to identify the false 
This is true with spiritual principles, doctrines, teachings, and even a spirit that someone is carrying. When you are familiar with the real, the fake is a lot easier to spot. <laughs> We've all heard of the training that bank tellers go through. Well, maybe some of you haven't. As they're handling money and learning to do their job, they're always handling real money. So if somebody slips a counterfeit through, they're handling it, and they go, whoop, uh-huh, because they're so used to feeling the real, they can feel a fake when it comes through. I don't think we need to know everything there is to know about cults, the occult, demons. I don't think we need to know all that. As a matter of fact, that might even be damaging to us to spend too much time dwelling on that. But if we know the real, if we know what it's like when the Holy Spirit is present, we know what He loves, we know what the Lord loves, we know what He's passionate about, it's pretty easy to sense when something comes in that's got a stink about it, something that's foul, something that's rotting. you go get my stuff? My lovely assistant's going to go get something. Now, we are all tainted, okay? Corrupted by sin in a fallen world. None of us gets out of this life perfect. We all came into it stained. We all came to the Lord stained. Some were stained than others. Broken. Polluted. None of us are pure, except Jesus. So to think that we can achieve some level of perfection in purity is unrealistic. Now Jesus says, I've taken your sin, I give you my righteousness. In God's eyes, we are sinless. Right? It's true. We are fully forgiven. We are fully made righteous. In God's eyes. But as a human still walking in this fleshly form, we know, at least I do, I am tainted. The Lord has been working on me for 43 years. I am tainted. I am tainted. I'm not pure. We have all been stained by the sins we've committed and by just living in a sinful world. But if we immerse ourselves with God, His Word, and the Holy Spirit, then the tainting becomes less of an influencer on us and we can discern more clearly. Now I'm meddling. I'm purposely meddling. The Holy Spirit comes regenerating, rewashing, renewing, refreshing, filling us up with His Holy Spirit. But it's still tainted. We're never going to get away from being tainted. As much as we would love to be. Now we get healed. We get saved, healed, and delivered. We know that's true. And we know in God's eyes, we are made holy and pure. But now it becomes our responsibility to maintain some level of integrity, some level of truth, some level of disciplines in our life to keep us at a place where we're not becoming further polluted. We allow in outside influences to come into our life we maybe spend too much time on areas of entertainment. Maybe we dabble with a little sin here and there. Maybe we hang out with the wrong crowd in the wrong places. We're still Christians. We still love Jesus. But we become more and more polluted. 
which one you want to go to to get ministry. It's just water with food coloring. Yeah, that's true. But there's a level of truth I'm trying to demonstrate here. It's our responsibility to try to keep clean, try to have the Holy Spirit be the major in our life and not allow things into our life that will darken us, that will pollute us and taint us even further. You know, when you minister, whatever level, it's you and God. It's always you and God. It's never all God. When you're ministering, you're always in a cooperative effort between you and God. And what you have in your life, what's in your heart, could be that dark or it could be that light. I would rather drink this one myself. And I think all the world would too when they recognize truth. When they recognize somebody walking in a transparency and a wholesomeness that seems to demonstrate something that's alive. They're going to look for something real. And I'm always astounded sometimes by my own failures and my own weaknesses. And I realize that uh, why would God want to use me? <laughs> it's easy for me to see my flaws. As we sang today, you know all about me, yet you still love me. A friend of ours gave us a little pillow one time. I was going through a bad season in my life, and, and they knew it. We'd shared some of the struggles that I was struggling. And he gave us this little pillow that says, a friend knows all about you, but still loves you. <laughs> Thank God that he knows all about us, and he still loves us. But we're talking about here, though, is some responsibility in our part. Do we want to be influencers? Do we want to represent Christ or represent Christ in a manner worthy of his holiness? Yeah, I'm meddling for sure. I think the church is hungry for some, or the world is hungry for something real. Do I have a scripture for that? Yep, I sure do. 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21. Now in a great house, there are only, not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and hay, clay, wood and clay, some for honorable, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. You see the responsibility in that. This isn't a guilt trip. We live in a moment where anything is possible with God. How much do we want to cooperate? I'm not trying to create a legalism. I'm not trying to say, eat this, don't eat that, don't drink beer, don't drink wine, you know, don't do this, don't do that. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just trying to say, how far do you want to go in walking with God and keeping a heart that's pure before him We all get it wrong occasionally. That is human. Uh, just to give you a funny example of a discernment missed. Years ago, I was at a <clears throat> home group, and uh, my wife and I were ham had a home group, and uh, they had a we had a big we had a big fire outside, big campfire outside, and we were all hanging around the campfire, singing worship songs, and. Uh, we decided to roast marshmallows over the campfire. So uh, one of the brothers there, I love the guy dearly, he uh, earlier in the day had went, gone into the woods and got some sticks for marshmallow sticks, you know. <laughs> yeah. And they were leaning up there against the porch, and when it came time to roast marshmallows, he says, yeah, I got a bunch of marshmallow sticks over there. And uh, I looked at them, and I went, those look like poison oak branches to me. And then that old thing went off of me and says, don't do it. And then my stupid logic kicked in and said, nobody would be that dumb. 
<laughs> well, guess what? We roasted marshmallows on those sticks. And my wife and I woke up the next morning with poison oak on our hands and our mouth and our tongue and our nose and should have listened. Should have listened to that voice. Now, like most of God's giftings and anointings, there is always an evil counterfeit. Isn't that funny? The devil is so unoriginal. He cannot create something new. He only counterfeits what God does. So even as a gifting of God, discernment, he has a phony gifting called suspicion. Suspicion. Suspicion at first glance may look the same as discernment, but typically the end results are much different. Someone in suspicion oftentimes is narrow-focused. They are looking for the devil in everything. They can spread fear and doubt quickly and unsettle people's faith. Discernment, on the other hand, is always looking for God, a God encounter or a God uh, result, something that brings a greater end result. In the end, it brings healing, restoration, and unity. That should be the fruit of good discernment. Isn't God always about that? Healing, restoration, unity, life? Always. Suspicion, on the other hand, is always looking for evil in everything and in everyone, and in the end results in making a judgment call against a person or declaring a thing evil. In the end, it divides. Suspicion seems to always divide. And if we haven't watched a massive amount of division going on in the last two years, or I'd say maybe the last five or six, eight, ten years, especially fueled by the political unrest, divide, separate, create camps, accuse each other, fight each other, launch mortars at each other, but never coming together and working it out. Suspicion, calling something evil. That's the enemy. Get him. But the problem is we're pointing at people instead of the real enemy. Jesus said, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. If you want to know something, if you're, if you're trying to develop discernment, and if you want to know if it's Jesus, the Holy Spirit, or something else, is it gathering or is it scattering? That's a pretty good litmus test. Is what I'm hearing right now, is that gathering? Is that bringing healing and unity? Or is it scattering? Jesus gathers. Satan scatters. I should post that on a big poster. Jesus gathers. Satan scatters. John 10.10 10 through 15. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Scattering. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Gathering. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd and does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Have we seen a lot of hired hands in places of authority lately? That when things get hard and, the, devil and the, the wolf came, they just scattered, they just ran, they just left. He flees, okay, he flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay my life down for the sheep. 
Jesus does whatever it takes to bring life and healing and restoration, unity. The enemy snatches and scatters. Have you ever watched a, a dog or maybe a video of a wolf, a fox or something, getting hold of a small animal and how they grab it and they just shake it really hard? <laughs> That's your devil. That's your enemy. That's what he wants to do to us. That is what he's been doing to humanity for thousands of years. He's got a thing about snatching and shaking hard and scattering. Like it or not, he hates all of us, saved or unsaved. He hates us all. He'll favor some people who do his work and help them along, but he doesn't love anybody. So we just came through a two-year period where there's been an awful lot of scattering going on. People in all walks of life, government, business, education, even the church got sucked into a stance of scattering people, even the sheep of God. I witnessed over and over again the Spirit's division rise up and lay waste to people everywhere. Suspicion and fear was sown into our society and caused a great amount of division and scattering. Did I just sum up the last two years? Holy smokes. You know, I don't know where you... I'm not trying to say one side was all right and one side was all wrong on this whole COVID narrative. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just saying the overlying spirit that worked into it, the principality, the powers of darkness that worked in the midst of it was scattering. Snatching and scattering and causing division on so many fronts. It's appalling to me. And we need to be a people of discernment who can see that and speak to it. Not necessarily choose a side and shoot at the other side. I don't think that's our objective. Our objective is to be the third side. You got those over there and you got those over there and you got the people of God trying to minister to the whole thing. That should be our stance in heavenly places as we see from God's perspective and we try to bring healing to all things. There are times we're going to have to say, you know, that, that looks black, I'm sorry. That's not healthy. As a follower of Jesus... It was and is a season where discernment is really important. <clears throat> How do we address tough situations, speak life into them, and remain united and focus on the kingdom of God and not get swept up into a division mindset? Wow, what a challenge. What a challenge. So in the spirit of discernment, I just want to release you all to test everything and to hold fast to what is good, as uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says. Test everything. Discern everything. Hold that fast to what is good. Don't take everything at face value. And don't let anyone shame you with a perverted sense of righteousness that demands that you don't judge me. There are so many of those judgments being made, the name-calling, the the marginalizing, the, oh, you're one of those, oh, you're one of those, one of those, let's keep in our separate camps and we'll just hate each other and it'll all be swell. I'm being sarcastic. Truthfully, when someone says, don't judge me, it's likely it's because they're already having a measure of self-judgment, guilt, or shame going on inside of them. And we get to be a minister that brings healing. No, I'm not judging you, but that thing that you're hanging out with, it's trying to destroy you. But Jesus has come that you might have life and have it to the full.
The other big word that's happening, has been happening for quite some time is tolerance. You know, I did a whole sermon on tolerance and love. Tolerance accepts evil, love confronts evil. Love doesn't condemn evil, love confronts evil because it wants to bring healing. Tolerance accepts it. Let's just make everything gray. Your sin is good, your sin is good, my sin's good. You're okay, it's acceptable. As it eats away as a cancer in them individual, as individuals in a society. That's not Jesus' way. Jesus' way is to set them free. Saved, healed, delivered, transformed life. Overcome. We need to be people of discernment. Well, with that, we'll wrap it up. Let's stand and I'll pray for you guys. Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit that you communicate with our spirit and you grace us to have wisdom and discernment to know how to walk in the days in which we live. I thank you for your great Holy Spirit, Lord, that immeasurable gift. I pray for everyone here that they would have a greater understanding of how to walk with you, how to tap into that, how to experience you that we would be wise in our day, that we would have the words that bring life and healing, that we would draw attention, not, not necessarily to ourselves, but to ourselves in order that we can speak a measure of truth that brings healing and life to individuals and to our society. And I pray that for everyone here, anyone who hears this message later, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.